Hey ho, Docalo. Welcome to the Documenteers Podcast, the podcast about documentaries where myself and a well-meaning enthusiast discuss a different documentary each week and we laugh, judge, and reminisce about the past. My name is Bob Sham. I host the most. This thing, for good or bad, is my baby. And I'll let you hold my baby for about 90 minutes if you want. Today I discussed with my friend to kill, and it was his choice to and I because I had to make up for that Bill Murray doc episode we did. It was a very long day when we recorded that. So Akil had us watch a documentary about something he and I have loved for most of our lives. A topic we probably know way too much about. Discussing the story of a comic book company that broke away and burned red hot like a Roman candle to challenge the big publishing companies of Marvel and DC Comics. We are discussing the birth of Image Comics and Patrick Meany's The Image Revolution. From Spawn to The Walking Dead, Image has represented a creator-first ethos in the comics industry for over 25 years. We might be the most culturally familiar with this subject, more so than any other documentary we've discussed up to this point. We throw around a lot of names. If you don't know anything about it, we're just nerds talking about dudes who worked in comics in the 90s. Next week on this very podcast, Angela joins me as we discuss a documentary that she has been wanting to discuss for a while. And it's kind of a big deal in the history of documentaries. And is also our very first Errol Morris film. We've mentioned him several times as an example of how his craftsmanship shows how something be, can be done better in a documentary. It took a year and a half to get to Errol. But next week, we are discussing Gates of Heaven, one of his earliest completed films. Werner Herzog bet that he would eat his shoe the scatterbrained and restless Errol managed to finish this film. And guess what happened? We're on the eve of Herzog month, you know. That might come up again. Me, Angela, Errol Morris, and the eccentric story of a pet funeral industry. Next week, right here on The Documenteers. No music really, just a fade out at the end. And I really racked my brain trying to come up with a song that maybe represented this story or the 90s era of comic books. and. There's a lot of bad music that does that, and I'm usually not opposed to playing bad music. But yeah, there is so much prolific 90s music, but I ended up going with the song Can't Sit Still by the DC area band Unrest from their 1988 album Malcolm X Park. Looked all over the 90s, ended up at 1988. For more information on us, go to documenteerspodcast.com. And if you like us and haven't done so, and you would be helping us hugely with five stars and a review on your favorite podcast playing format, especially Apple Podcasts. You have no idea how much that kind of thing means to us. And we really appreciate all those that have done so. On to this shit. Nerd porn is what you're about to hear. Rub the blood and keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. You weren't there, you just don't get idea. These guys were rock stars. These guys were Elvis, all of them. It was like seven Elvises. There were riot police. There were helicopters in the air. This is for a comic book store signing. I've never seen comic creators generate that kind of excitement, and I don't believe I will again. I, I do not believe it's possible. Balzac. Did you have a Balzac? I still do.
No, I meant like the toy right from 1993. No, I was 93. I was like 17 years old. I wasn't thinking about that. Was there was a brief period in my life where I wasn't thinking about toys. 17 at 93. Yeah, I was 12. Really? Yeah. Are you that much younger than me? I'm 38. I feel like you're more of a contemporary, Bobby. I, it seems like there's a lot of crossover in our interests. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're look in this episode. I think this is what's going to happen. The thing that we're talking about. We are both going to praise it and make fun of it. Yes. It's going to be a lot of both. Because we're talking about something in the cultural zeitgeist, a very 90s thing. Regarding something that you and I have loved all our lives. Comic books. Mm -hmm. This month, it's not an official theme, but it just turns out the month of August is all about giving back to the co-host. Me being such a wonderful main code you're so magnanimous and giving to the the people or the other people on the show documentaries they want to talk about what he really means is that he owes me um after making me sit through uh what was that documentary that i was the bill to? murray movies yes the bill murray the, bill, the horrible bill murray documentaries uh so this is really more of a a, come, a, a comeuppance yeah, but, kind of. And I could have I could have been a shitty person. I could have picked something, forced you to watch something equally horrible and off-putting. But I was like, you know what? I'm not that kind of guy. Here's the thing. You would have to sit through it, too, if it was horrible and off-putting, right? Well, one person's horrible and off-putting is another person's gold mine. And you have a lot so of those. I do. You have a lot of those. Yeah. But I didn't know what the Bill Murray experience was going to be like. Neither one of us did. We but know we had an idea. We yeah, I mean, we knew going in. We, I mean, we made it pretty clear we were already prejudging based on the trailers for each movie. So, but yes, and our judgments were accurate. And yes, <laughs> sometimes you can judge a book by a cover. You know, mm -hmm. maybe I mean, just don't do it all the time. I think most of the times you can judge a book by a cover. Here's an idea: only judge books by their cover, and maybe don't judge people as much by their cover. I feel like the whole saying "Don't judge a book by its cover" got co-opted. It yeah. was originally just about books, books. <laughs> and some person decided like, you know, this could be applicable to the human experience. Like, no, son, it's just meant for books. So many books back in the day were very plain on their outside. It was just like maybe some nice lettering to tell you what it was. So maybe the complaint about books at the time was like, I don't like these books. The cover's just too dark blue. Maybe that's where the dust jacket came in. Yeah, with the little designs and yeah. arts. I figure it's probably cheaper to print on print designs and pictures on paper than it is like on the actual cover of the book itself. I think I just figured out why book jackets exist. What? Whoa. Whoa. What? Mind blown. I'm looking up Image Revolution, <laughs> IMDb. Not to be confused with IBS. Irritable, right, just getting the director's name. What we're talking about, Akil, is about a comic book company that started in 1992. Pacific Comics. Pacific Comics? Yes. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Do you not remember Pacific? You know what? I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go, go down that path. <laughs> Akil and I would have the ability to make this episode five and a half hours long. <laughs> We've made a pact. We have to be <laughs> to the point. Yeah. But we could talk about our personal influences with this. Now, Image Comics, it consisted of guys that sold millions of comic books for other bigger comic book companies. We all know Marvel and DC Comics. And I'm way behind on a lot of things because I used to get a whole pull list from the comic book store. I don't anymore. Neither do I. I feel like I still know what's going on with the 
the uh, the mainstream worlds, Marvel and DC, just due to being like half interested. Like it's easy to find out what's going on. But when I dropped my pull list, the majority of my stuff was Image Comics. And so I'm like, I have no idea what's going on with Image Comics right now. They pretty much have, because I still, I still read stuff. I check out stuff from the library a lot. If you wait a little bit, like when it comes out in trade, just check it out from the library. You don't have to buy it if you don't sure. want it. But I mean, Image is doing exactly what it probably was doing when you were still reading right. it, which is putting out really awesome stuff that's miles above anything really Marvel and DC are doing for the most part. This film that we're talking about, The Image Revolution by Patrick Meany, came out in 2014, and I was definitely all over yeah, a, so lot was of, I. Yeah. a lot of Image books at that time. And there was some actually some really good stuff coming out of that company. But this is the story of that company. The beginning. The beginning of that company. Where dude, nerds who sat at tables and drew by themselves <laughs> for hours at a time, suddenly became rock stars. Rock stars. <laughs> nerd rock because they were like the beatles of comic book lore basically i mean <laughs> that's what they like would, the that's what they say maybe they were like the who <laughs> breaking their guitars and lighting things on fire <laughs> ripping off Jimi hendrix <laughs> but yeah they were rock star comic creators the first thing i wrote in my notes i wrote todd mcfarlane equals ann rand <laughs> 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 that's pretty i mean that's pretty spot on <laughs> he's like business lasered in yeah and it's funny because his origin story involved him constantly submitting to marvel comics until his wife was like and they were living in a trailer yeah. in canada and todd mcfarland finally got called back by a guy named steve Englehart, who was an editor at the time and he's like all right kid won't you come on over draw some hulk comics Reeve, uh, get Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man sells her down. You draw it, and he really did have a big effect on that book. To back up a little bit, you also you have to kind of preface what what the state of Marvel was uh, yes. at that time. Oh, and set up exactly what kind of the, the immoral undertones of yeah. Marvel and DC yeah. at the time. I kind of got pissed off at how they did this scene. They told the story of uh, Joel Siegel and Jerry Schuster creating Superman. They only made like 130 bucks when they created them. And by the end of the 70s, he was like a multi-million dollar property. And they were given like a 20 grand pension from then on, like year after year. For this thing that is making millions and millions of dollars for dudes in suits that never even made it or don't even have the ability to do so. And the story of Jack Kirby, which is even sadder. It's way sadder. Marvel would not give him his original drawings back. And he pretty much died pretty bitter about a lot of things, including Stan Lee and Marvel. And Stan Lee, who has, who over the years had his own beefs with yeah. Marvel Comics and how they handled things business-like. Stan took care of Stan, though. He did. <laughs> and Stan was like, uh, I don't care. Uh, Jack, uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Jack. Excelsior! I, mean, I think the probably I, the best deal he ever made was having his having being a producer on every single yeah. Marvel property that ever got created, which is insane, even though he had nothing to do with <laughs> Yeah, with any of that stuff. I think uh, Stanley's business acumen is what killed him. You think so? Yeah, he was, was just good at business, and it took him down. I thought it was old age at the age of like ninety. <laughs> <laughs> he really didn't make it. Really, he was middle aged when he created all that. Stuff. Yeah, I know. So that's wild to think about. Yeah. Hey, never give up, man. Never give up your dreams. Seventy Stanley. Yeah. Leisure suits. Yeah, he, he looked like he just smelled loud. <laughs> 
But I didn't like these scenes because they stuck the scenes wordlessly onto any documentary that's about comic books is going to have some kind of narrative within the documentary yeah. where you're following things panel to panel. I felt like those stories, considering a lot of this movie was about fighting those corrupt business practices, that those stories could have used more of a voice involved. The idea that like there's all this talking, but the stories of those guys getting dicked over is just a quiet thing that you have to watch. And yet another rehash, this is a comic book storytelling method in a comic book documentary thing. Yeah. That makes those stories not accentuated in the way that everything else is happening. You can also look at it as essentially anyone who's watching, for the most part, who's watching this documentary is a comic book nerd. And so you're already, most most of us are already well-versed in all that stuff. So I kind of get the, you know, wanting to like basically put that information out there really, because I've seen so many documentaries at this point and read so many books that at some point bring that up. Joel, Joel Siegel, Jerry Shoot, like the whole thing, Kirby, like how they were mistreated. Yeah. So I can rec- I kind of I can recognize the desire to sort of like kind of rush through that and just kind of set the groundwork of like this is what the industry was like. This gets down to us being like this is how you should have made your movie. <laughs> but you know what I'm going to tell you. You should have had like somebody representing those people at the very beginning of this movie tell those guys stories. The first thing you see is them telling the stories of Jerry Siegel and Schuster getting fucked over, Jack Kirby getting fucked over, three 4 minute segment cuz that's how long it took them to to show the words of those stories onto a <laughs> documentary screen. Start with that, and then you go into what this movie is, because that's truly what it is. I think even if they... I mean, I, yeah, I see your point. Maybe even if they just tossed in a voiceover versus the actual, like, yeah. using the word balloons and the captions Any, to sort of encapsulate everything. Anything. Yeah. Lended a voice. Yeah. It needed a voice. We understand this is about fucking comedy. Right. We know. And it just seemed a little breezed over. But we know that story very well. We pretty much, I mean, I learned a few new things, but in terms of what was going on within, but we know that story well, so it's easy for us to look past it. But I was looking at it as somebody who really wanted to learn about this stuff. I feel you. And it just kind of went right over it. And I didn't think it was right. I mean, it's nice that those creators and their stories were at least mentioned, but they should have done, they could have done it a little bit more justice. What do you think if they had just left that out entirely? Like if they you know, just if they just jumped really right into the image story and just kind of left maybe gave a brief history of like what the comic book industry was like maybe up to that point I could have who knows how I would have thought about it I may like get into the other things that don't have much to do with that but it just seems like the moral play of this feature is like we're fighting back against this system. right yeah which I like that angle like I actually like it made image seem very important. So if they didn't have it in there, who knows? I might not be talking about it at all because I didn't think about it. But if they go with that angle, I guess showing a little bit will just, I needed more. They opened the, the door, so they yeah. should have put a little bit more information in there. Because when you do think about how much Jack Kirby lost and how literally his characters are making billions and billions yeah. of dollars. It's, it's insane. I don't think that his, pretty sure his family wouldn't be getting anything either. I, I know that the only reason that Siegel and Schuster got the stipend that they got was because uh, Neil Adams, when that movie was coming out was like, this is bullshit. Like these guys created this character for yeah. Warner brothers is making millions upon millions of dollars. I think one of them was working at a post, like was a postman. Right. And it was like going blind. And the other one was like, wasn't working at all or There's something. Countless yeah. stories like that. Bill yeah. finger. Like, yeah. And he was dicked over by other comic. Creators. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, 
basically designed and created most characters surrounding Batman. I just found out to, literally this morning that uh, Liam Messner Loeb's is home, homeless right now. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah, he's homeless and uh, like with his his wife, they're basically homeless and she's like very ill right now. They've got a GoFundMe set up for them. God, I know it's. I mean, there's so many stories of comic creators that are like that. Look, I mean, it go, just goes to show there's no guarantees in this life. Like, shit can turn on a dime. Yeah. And there's really not that much security for any of us. Aren't we all, Angela and I were talking about this this morning, aren't we all just navigating depth oh, in some shit, various dude. way? If we, I mean, if, if one of us lost our job yeah. in a month, or you break, screwed. Or you fucking break your back. Yeah. What happens, you know? it's it'd be Suddenly things would be very hard. Well, if that happens, you just obviously, you get a religious zealot to take your place um until you're able to recover yeah uh, and then you realize that you made a mistake because this guy's walking around beating the shit out of people wow um so now you got to take your mantle back you, know, you got to recuperate and- what i'm lost where <laughs> what story are you telling <laughs> the broken bat reference oh the- <laughs> see this is what we're trying to avoid to kill <laughs> You're like, now I get to talk about that time Batman got his back broken. And then Azrael took the mantle and lent out a harsher form of justice. This is the kind of thing we got In an avoid. extreme 90s battle armor costume. Sorry. So, Marvel Comics, Todd doesn't like the, um, the stories that are coming at him for Amazing Spider-Man, which is weird. He's basically like, fuck you, David Michelini, who was writing all those scripts. (laughs) I I like David Michelini. I did, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed those scripts. I was a kid. This is the era when I was probably picking up this kind of shit. And then he was given Spider-Man number one. No adjective, just Spider-Man number one, where he wrote and drew it. And he wrote this very dark Spider-Man comic that looks really interesting, but that's it. Yeah, it wasn't. And this thing... (laughs) Sold over 2 million copies. Which was insane for a comic book during that period. Most comics were averaging, I mean, like a top, maybe X-Men was, yeah. was probably averaging maybe 175,000 wow. a year. Like that was considered, I mean, that was the top selling comic in the industry at the time. Cut to a dude named Rob Liefeld who drew all his life, believe it or not. I can't remember a time when I wasn't reading a comic or trying to create a comic. When I was in the fifth and sixth grade, our teacher would be like, you need to go paint a bowl of fruit. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to delve sequential art. Rob Liefeld's <laughs> known for just being really bad at anatomy. And his so early, bad. <laughs> his early shit stands out because it just looks nothing like anything yeah. else you're seeing. But when you look harder, it's like, there's a reason why this doesn't look like anything why else. Why are their feet so small? It's kind of like good, bad comics, you know? And I, I mean, and don't get me wrong, this when the image thing was happening, that was right at the same time that I was actually really getting heavy into comics. I yeah. hadn't really jumped on the image. It wasn't even really a thing yet at that point. But like when X-Force number one came out. Yeah, we get, we got all of these oh, comics. Yeah, yeah. That is discussing this. He kind of blows over it, but he drew for DC for a little bit. Yeah, a lot of people forget that. And then he went on to New Mutants and he created a character called Deadpool. This is a very common thing. Where the character that we see now is not always... They might look like the character that was initially created. It is not the same character. <laughs> like, Rob Liefeld's Deadpool was just some posturing dude. He, he was literally a ripoff of Deathstroke, the character Deathstroke from DC Comics. But he was a straight villain. Like, he talked a lot. Yeah. But he wasn't... He was only as funny as Rob Liefeld was funny. I just always felt like 
at the time that Deadpool was like, because he looked like Spider-Man. Yeah. To me. And, you know, he was very chatty. But again, like you said, he wasn't really funny. Yeah. I think later on, other writers came on yeah, long Joe, after Joe Kelly, basically. Joe Kelly, yeah. he's the guy that made Deadpool joke. Yeah, that's the Deadpool that that's you know the in the movie with Ryan Reynolds, yeah. And they give him a comic, A New Mutants Becomes X-Force. I, I remember being really excited about yeah, this shit. you'll be both, man. And yeah, and that sells over five million. Cards. I had all five covers. I wanted those trading cards. Well, we're, the bubble, which we will get to. <laughs> then we got a dude named Jim Lee who started drawing on Uncanny X-Men at the end of the 80s. And they were like, okay, you do an X-Men number one. Usually it was called Uncanny X-Men. So we're going to do an adjectiveless X-Men number one. And that shit sells over 8.2 million copies. Still to this day. Which is the record. The highest grossing. I mean, it's it's... If you just think about those numbers, it's just insane. Like, yeah. say what you will about the image guys and all. I mean, this was a period of time where it was crazy. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was exciting. It really was exciting as a fan when you hear this stuff, like, and knowing that you're there and you're a part of it and, you know, you're contributing by dropping your money on the counter. I remember that Todd McFarlane, because at this time I was kind of transitioning from like the Disney comics, the animal comics. Like the humor comics. Yeah. And I I remember when I was very young, I remember the superheroes used to confuse me, but I always understood what the fuck Donald Duck was doing, you know. But finally I'd get I picked up an X-Men comic and a Spider-Man comic. Those were my two entryways. The X-Men I recall being very fucking confusing. Yeah, same here. But Jim Lee was in that shit and his art, at least back then, looked good. That was the first X-Men comic book I read was the Uncanny yeah. Jim Lee. And then I remember just Spider-Man number one, Todd McFarlane coming out. I don't remember. And this is like spinner racks and grocery stores. And I pulled that off the shelf and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Yeah. It was really dark. It seemed almost too dark for Spider-Man. It seemed like Todd didn't really understand the nature of Spider-Man. And, uh, you know, Todd's got a great worth ethic and he believes in comics, but he's not like, in my opinion, a good writer. God no! I mean, is he still writing Spawn? I think so. I know he does. He does do the R. I think he does the. I covers. think he does subplotting, and he inked for a long time. I used to rag on him for only inking, but shit, he probably did more with his comic than most of these other guys. Oh yeah, I mean, outside of Eric Larson, he's probably the only yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Rob Liefeld suddenly is making gobs of money for Marvel Comics, and he gets to be on a Spike Lee Levi's commercial. Remember that? I shit? remember that commercial. So how long have you been drawing comic books? Until I was about seven years old, little kid. What did your parents think about it? They hate it. They hate it. Oh, yeah. The button your fly? Yeah. Button your fly, Rob Liefeld. He's got these jeans. Get this. That have buttons on them. That commercial is the reason why I went to the comic book store and bought X-Force yeah. number one. X-Force came out first, right? And then X-Men came out after. It was Liefeld. I mean, it was, it was Spider-Man, X-Force. Then X Men is that the order? Yeah. So I remember going. I remember seeing that commercial, and I was just super excited because I was a Spike Lee fan. Because like you know, do the right thing and all that yeah. shit. And then there's this guy who I'm like, that's the dude that does New Mutants. Like I'd never seen his face before. I knew the name, and then he's talking about like this new comic X Force, and I'm still behind at that point. I'm like reading back issues. They really caught up. So I just gotten into the introduction of all those characters. And I literally, like, two days later, caught the bus to the comic book store. Can I get that? And at that time, I think issue three was already out, so I had to, like... And you were 17 at the time, so you were surrounded by 12-year-olds No, I was going to buy X-Force. I was, like, 15, 16. Oh, at that that time. 
Well, then... We're talking 92. I thought you said you were 17 and 92. No, I was 17 and 93. Earlier, I, I've got you recorded. <laughs> yeah, I said I was 17. You said, was, you said you were 17, 17 and 92. And 90, no, I thought we said We were 93. talking about 92 because we were talking about image being found. That's the only date we've thought this morning out. you said 93. You're wrong! Well, I'm sorry. Okay. This sorry, Jesus. We went on a tangent. <laughs> but the Spike Lee commercial. I don't need this, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> All this is getting cut out. But Spike walks over to the table, and Rob's drawing Spike Man with a camera on his head. So what is this drawing on? This is the Spike Man, and what's this right here? This is the camera on top of your head that will record the wrongdoings of others. There's an extended cut of that commercial where Spike's like, "Why is his crotch area so flat?" <laughs> And what's with all these pouches? Are the genitalia, is the genitalia in these pouches? Why are the shoulder pads so big? Yeah. Those tiny feet and ankles cannot support the weight of that body. All of Rob Liefeld's characters look like they were, like, starting to jump. You know? Like, they were, like, on their tippy toes, like, rising up. Yeah. And their arms are always, like, splayed out. <laughs> you know, when he started writing, doing New Mutants, it wasn't long before he was, like, totally plotting, co-plotting. Because I think the cells were down and they just kind of let him do whatever. And then he introduced Deadpool and Cable and X-Forced it. To be fair, I've never been a fan, never been a huge fan of his art. No. Like, he was, he was when I was reading New Mutants, I had already been reading New Mutants for a, a while. And so now he's the new guy during New Mutants, so therefore I am reading him doing the art in New Mutants. And I, he's gotten a lot of shit over the years about his art. His art's not great. It did not. Now, the X-Force era is, is where he peaked. That's totally the peak, yeah. Like, yeah. All of these guys actually are peaking, in my view, at this time. I think Todd had some good years. I think... Uh, Eric Larson pretty much drew the same. Yeah, I definitely think Uncanny X-Men was Jim Lee's peak, personally. Yeah. Sylvester stuff on X Men was really good. Yeah, that was great. And he would also go to Image Comics. Yeah. Oh, we're 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 skewing. We're way yeah, off yeah. now. <laughs> Todd is ragging on Rob, and uh, Rob does impressions of Todd McFarlane. He does it pretty very, good. <laughs> you can tell he's been practicing. We did everything with Todd. Todd's like, so what have you been doing this? Like uh, two years? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, you're figuring out the fingers and the thumb. I'm drawing extra bricks on the side of the wall, and I'm drawing window panes and and clouds and details while you're figuring out the hands and the anatomy. I gotta say, I used to hate on Rob Liefeld. We all did back in the day, like when yeah, all that yeah. shit was going down. Uh, but this documentary actually made me like him, like yeah, just because yeah. I never really had a chance to actually see him or like hear him talk. All I knew was what I was reading in the trades and what I was reading on the page of the comic. Um, so, yeah, he seems like he's actually a, a pretty fun guy. Yeah, yeah. He's got, you know, it, it's, he's it's older all, now. The things that he puts his hands on, I I don't get much into. But when he he gives certain things in his properties to other people, yeah. he does seem to ha know what good comic creating looks like when he's not doing it. He does seem to have a real eye for this business and a in a very unique way. It just seems like like he's not good at writing and you either take a Rob Liefeld drawing or you don't. That's yeah. just how it is. Yeah. You know? I understand the criticisms. And people forget how young he was Yeah, when he like first burst onto the scene. I mean, to have that level of notoriety and you know making all this money when you're in your early 20s yeah i wasn't like, i didn't have shit going for no, me man, that I, time. yeah yeah i was getting high <laughs> before going to my court dates. 
Oh, got to go to court. Let me smoke a little bit. <laughs> got to take the edge off. Uh, but Mark Silvestri, he's doing some X-Men work, and he was bored with comics. He was thinking about just leaving. And they talked about how Marvel owned every character. They got their paychecks, but that was it. They kept every extra profit. So you're talking about books that are selling two, five, eight million copies, and these guys are just getting your standard rate as the guy that's, you know, drawing a book that's probably going to be canceled next yeah. week. I sold two million copies for you, Marvel. I didn't even get a watch. I didn't get a plaque. My dad got a watch when he worked at the factory. And they're slapping their images on T-shirts. Yes. Coffee cups. Everything they could possibly put. And they're making so much money just on their artwork alone, not even connected to the comic book itself. And they're and even to this day, like the, their drawings of these classic still Marvel used. characters are still like you still see them around. They're still representative of these yeah. characters. So they're starting to push back. Todd's definitely a very mouthy dude. And he asked, like, what's in the comics gun? This is a, probably about the seventh time I'd had this conversation. And I kept asking the same conversation. Uh, what is in the comics code? And none of them could actually ever tell me clearly what was in the comics code. They just told me what they felt. They thought the comics code meant. But they didn't. They couldn't answer the question about what was in the comics. Well, nobody could. Because it was a bullshit then. thing from yeah. the time where parents were afraid comics were rotting kids' brains. It was That's like, where the code came from. It was like no, no zombies, no vampire. Like the the standards kept changing over the years so yeah there was nothing i'm sure it's really frustrating yeah to not have any idea of what you can or can't do but people when they see something they decide you can't do that then they're like yeah the code says you can't do that yeah in the 70s they went more lax on some horror labels yeah so that's when like a lot of marvel's horror characters started coming out it was fucking stupid there's so much like stupid business bullshit but, but they had to make them all heroes <laughs> right do you remember that like oh yeah, yeah. like dracula was actually a, like a tortured soul. Satan's son had to be a hero. Right. <laughs> Cat's got an inverted pentagram on his chest. I think his shtick now is that like he's sometimes good and sometimes bad, right? Yeah. Like something changes. So like a normal human being. Yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> should call him normal human being, man. I bet that would sell. So all the cells are revolving around Todd, Rob, and Jim's books. And Jim Valentino comes along. He's writing Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's not the Guardians that you know today. <laughs> It, they, it, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy used to be like Marvel's version of the Legion of Superheroes. It's like their universe way in the deep future. And I actually used to get that comic book. And they said in this documentary, which I didn't know, I may need to fact check this. They said that Guardians was the biggest non-X-Men, non-Spider-Man book. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. For real? Yeah, I, that's the same thing I said, yeah. I mean, I was reading it, but it just seems so... Like, looking back at it, it didn't really seem... Because it's not like, I mean... And don't get me wrong, I'm going to preface this with... I have immense respect for Jim Valentino. Yeah. Because Jim Valentino essentially made... Eventually made Image into what it is yeah, right he, now. Yeah, he's like... He's the guy that made, made it worth it in the long run. Yeah, I mean, he's he's probably the most important person, I think, as far as the history of Image is concerned. Truly. But he's not, like, a great artist. Like... Yeah, and his writing was, like, okay. Yeah, like, if you look at those old Guardians issues, there's nothing... I mean, I read it on and off, but there's nothing spectacular about yeah, it. Yeah, you'll notice that every guy we're breaking up, bringing up, we're like, we're talking about our childhood reverence, but our adult self is like, man, those books kind of yeah. suck, didn't they? <laughs> You're going to get a lot more of that in this episode. <laughs> 
These guys did something important that sucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Jim Valentino was like, man, I'm on board. And Jim Lee, he was kind of a company guy. He seemed to like what he was doing. And he took some convincing and he came over. And it was a big deal when he came over because he was a guy that looked like he was having a good time. Right. And then suddenly they don't have him anymore. The story of like how they broke the news to Marvel, to Marvel is, is pretty pretty spectacular. Todd the televangelist. <laughs> Todd Rand. <laughs> this acid washed denim jacket and mullet. He's not really Ann Rand at this point. He's actually like arguing on behalf of workers but he's arguing on behalf of himself he doesn't give a fuck about anybody that isn't like make doesn't have like the top character yeah you know I mean? he just cares about himself and and he knows that these dudes could be pillars to go in the direction that he wants to go but yeah he's like fuck you marvel the way you treat creators and i agree with everything he says in that respect and then they went across the street <laughs> The DC comics. That's like the best. And DC's like, oh shit. This is awesome. We're going to kick some ass. And then they gave them the exact same speech. Like, fuck you. You need to pay your creators, you piece of shit. And they're like, no, no, man. You should come work for us because we just like totally revamped like our policies as far as royalties and how we treat creators. And you know what? Todd's voice t- telling the story of Siegel and Schuster and Jack Kirby, he has that indignant tone to him. I think he would have told that story very well. Yeah, with a lot of swear words. Absolutely. <laughs> and they should have left them all in. But he made an interesting point. He asked him, did you talk to any of your actual creators? Yeah. While you were making, you know, revamping your policies. Oh, my God. And talk about the editor-in-chief. They, they talk about like it's a fucking cartoon. Describe <laughs> this scene. The best part about it is behind us, the door is slightly ajar. And in a classic, I mean, it's, it's, well, you see this in a movie, suddenly the editor-in-chief falls in the door, like stumbles on, on the floor. Oh, hey guys, hey, uh, hey, oh, hey guys, how you doing? And then Terry's like, do you want to join us? And I'm like, this is awkward. This is almost ridiculous. When they're at the Marvel office. Yeah. Did they say who the editor-in-chief was? I'm assuming it's either Tom DeFalco or Bob Harris. Yeah, it's gotta be one of those guys from that time period. That must have been a fun day. Oh, I'm sure it was. Like, but then you you do that, and then it's like, so the, well, shit, what do we do yeah, now? Yeah, now they're just free-floating. <laughs> and Rob is inspired by this badass Andre Agassi commercial. Remember him? Image is everything. Sex symbol Andre Agassi. Yeah. Tennis star Andre Agassi. He said, image is everything. And in 1992, they create image comics uh i wrote uh, at like 25 minutes robert kirkman shows up for the first time <laughs> like the last third of this movie is robert kirkman pretty much hey he's uh, <laughs> he's supporting us all <laughs> <laughs> they got some rules all right and it's about to get serious with these fucking rules number one image would never own anything except the image name and the image eye the reasoning behind that was in case of divorce, there was less to fight about. Boom. Boom. Number two. The second thing was that each individual person would be autonomous and we would never get in one another's way. Boom, boom. Three. You own everything. Creators own what they create. Boom, boom, bang. Probably the most important one. So what happens is these guys, they're all together and they create six individual publishing companies to kind of like contribute to this greater idea that is image comics todd mcfarland productions guess who did that one 
Can you guess who did that one? I love that he's the only person. That's a that's a that just shows you like as far as like Todd's ego. Yeah, he's the only person who just like named his company his his after himself. <laughs> uh, Shadow Line by Jim Valentino, which is one of the more successful ones to this day. Yeah, Highbrow by Eric Larson. Eric Larson, I think, is still doing the Savage Dragon. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. he's approaching issue three hundred. I think his publishing line is pretty much just just Savage yeah. Dragon. Yeah. Uh, Wildstorm by Jim Lee, which would grow to become the probably the biggest one. Extreme by Rob Liefeld, which would have its ups and downs. And Top Cow, another very consistent line for Image, created by Mark Silvestri. And they created all kinds of characters that looked vaguely like meaner versions of characters that they were drawing. Yeah, they before. played it pretty safe. Wrath, which is smart. I mean, you know, you know what your fans like. Did they think they were playing it safe? It seemed like Eric Larson was the only one that truly was like my character is unique and weird look yeah. at him but everyone else he created the savage dragon although i mean i don't know you could i mean spawn that was pretty different i mean there wasn't yeah, anything he, at all like, he kind of had the full body thing like spider-man yeah like it kind of had that vibe but the cape made everything different yeah and i was all i mean i was quite into spawn early on like yeah i used to read it yeah I don't have like any fond memories of cool stories that stand out. No, I I just remember the idea of this character who like was, you know, who killed people for a living. Yeah, and like selling his soul and like I just thought that was really cool. But the biggest thing for me was finding out later on like this dude is black. Yeah, I how did many not issues? see that coming at all. <laughs> how many issues did it take for you to realize he was black? because uh, he's when he doesn't have his mask on, he looks like he's a just like hamburger. Yeah, <laughs> but he, I remember he always would like peek into the windows of his like uh, widowed yeah. wife and daughter, creeping on his own family, stalking his own family. Al Simmons was his name. Al Simmons. I heard uh, Jordan like uh, Jordan Peele's production company is working on. Yeah, there's supposed to be a new a one Spawn movie out. Yeah. Remember that old one with John Leguizamo? Put down my dog. <laughs> nice doggy. Heel fat. I never watched that all the way through. I haven't never watched Is it, it at all. Oh, I have no idea. Man, maybe we should watch we it. We should probably watch it. I did watch the animated series on HBO, which was actually really good. So name some of these like badass fucking comics that came out that you know got 13-year-old kids hot right before puberty. So you got Wildstorm, Jim Lee's Hell imprint, yeah. Fuck yeah. Wildcats. Wildcats. Wildcats was like a huge thing. Yeah, It bitch. was essentially kind of like X-Men These motherfuckers aliens. will come in and shoot your fucking tits off, bro. Totally, man. That's what they did. Thank you, Quincy. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, you got Highbrow, which is Eric Larson, Savage Dragon. He's a cop. Chicago PD. Chicago PD. And he's a dragon, motherfucker. <laughs> Extreme <laughs> Studios. Shadowhawk, bitch. He breaks your back. That's Shadowline. Shad by Shadowline. Shadowline. Shadowhawk. Breaking spines. Shadowhawk, bitch. Extreme Studios. Young blood. Cyber Force. <laughs> Top cow. <laughs> Moo. Young blood. <laughs> it's so, young blood. Young blood. I had no interest in that book when it first came out. Like, I know it was the first image book to drop. The Archer guy was named care. Shaft. <laughs> and the Bad Rock character was like if the thing had a, like a 10-year-old brain. <laughs> I don't know. What was the... Uh, I don't even remember any of the other you characters. You see this shit from, like in quarter bins nowadays. Yeah. 
You can go to any comic shop and you'll be like, make a list of every comic we're going to talk about. <laughs> any comic shop will be like, yeah, we got like lots of those. <laughs> you want all the variants too? We'll give them all to you for $2. I think the only thing that you might still pay, you can pay like 15, 20 bucks for is spawn number one. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's even a little too high, to be honest. I've seen it. People have bought it. I've, I mean, I've, I've seen it regularly on eBay. For, it blows my mind how much people will pay. For 25 bucks? Yeah. Wow. That's that's, the- it's even more if it's CGC. I don't get it. There's literally millions of copies of this book floating around out there. Everyone's hating on these dudes because they're like, look, you think you're hot shit? This ain't as easy as you think it is, and you're going to tank. Drawing comics is one thing. So, yeah, so first of all, they're all artists. Really, none of them are writers. I mean, yeah. Tom McFarlane had been writing Spider-Man for a little bit. Yeah. Not very well. Valentino. Yeah, was he the was the only one who actually was a legit writer. Yeah. The rest of them only ended up maybe co-plotting their books just because of the success of their art. Yeah. So now these guys are having to actually script their own stories in addition to drawing the comics. There's a lot of ethos by a lot of these early image guys who were solely artists that they don't need writers to tell their stories. Well, you got a flash in the pan thing for a minute, but you got to maintain something. I guess the way comics are done today, especially mainstream comics, I feel like I have to lean... If I do get into these mainstream comics, I feel like I have to lean more on the writing because art is so inconsistent. It can go up. And oh, it's down. all about writing this these days. Like yeah. that shift probably in, in the early 2000s. But in a creator owned setting, like the way image is now, their format now, the art, the writer and artists are more cohesive. They probably have more of a personal relationship, but I'm still probably going to pick up if I know the writer more yeah. than if I know the artist. There are some artists that are like that. But I'm still kind of a writer first guy. But if the art is is so bad, if the art just fucking sucks, like it it can ruin it for me. But I'm way more inclined to tolerate a good story, less than great art if the story is done really well. And it it just kind of makes you upset if you read like a really good story and there's bad art, you know? It just kind of like that pisses you off more. It's like you had it. Their shit comes out, spawn and shit comes out. And it's fucking huge. Like, everyone is losing their shit getting a hold of these issues. They're buying multiple, multiple copies. I didn't realize, because, you know, we live in Nashville. Like, I mean, you know, we got our little comic book store we go to. But I did not bear witness. This was my first time seeing the insanity around, like, outside of my little bubble around this company and around these comics coming out. Like, lines of hundreds and hundreds of people waiting outside for a signing with Rob Liefeld. Like, yeah. Youngblood selling half a million the first day. Like, I mean, just all the news coverage. Yeah. Like, mainstream media stuff was just... I, I don't know if... I just wasn't aware of all that. I knew there was buzz around it. Yeah. But I didn't realize the extent until I saw this documentary. Well, there, I saw nothing like that where I grew up. And I would talk about comics to kids at school that also read comics. But I never had encountered, like, groups of people being crazy about comics in one place. Yeah. Once. I had, like, one guy at yeah. school that I talked to about yeah, comics. Yeah, yeah, totally. All these come out. Oh, Sam Keith, he comes on. He creates a character called The Max. You might remember an MTV cartoon in the 90s that was The Max. It was pretty much telling the first five issues yeah. of that story. Back when MTV was in the business of doing... Some really cool animation, actually. The Max is probably the one of the most visually interesting comics on Image's shelf. And now Sam Keith has given that publishing rights over to IDW. Yeah, I, I noticed that. And all they're doing is just reprinting, reprinting old yeah. stories. It's like, maybe draw some, draw some new shit. So. But that's one of the things, one of the, the benefits of 
the way that image was set up is that he retained ownership of that character. So he was able to take the max wherever he wants, uh, which was something that just didn't happen until image became a thing. Right. Top cow, Mark Silvestri created characters, Witchblade and the darkness, which are fairly successful properties right now. Still running. I know the darkness was like a very well-regarded game on playstation at some point like, i didn't know that i think the witchblade was like a tv show at some point right i actually just started watching that show a few days ago i've, I've had i've i bought the box set like for the entire this is series a kill. Like, this is what he does yeah for like six bucks and i was like i'll check it out you know it's uh it's early 2000s i think it like came out in 2000 maybe 2001 mm-hmm. um so it definitely has that vibe i'm only two episodes in I'll let you know. Jim Lee's Wildstorm quickly goes ahead of the pack. Todd McFarlane is doing well, too. I mean, you could at least say Spawn is consistent in its forgettability. But <laughs> but he got really good. He got offers by toy companies, and he thought, I'll just do these toys myself. And that's where the big money of Rob Ly- or yeah. Todd McFarlane really came. Because up to that point, he, I mean, all these other guys had created their own studios and yeah. were starting to hire new talent. Yeah, and they would publish other titles. And they would form sub-publishing. Right, but McFarlane and uh, Larson essentially really were just doing their their thing. thing. Like, he was doing Spawn, and he was doing Savage Dragon. What Todd and Eric were doing were, like, more of the philosophical core of comic book making, the closest to the original idea of what Image was supposed to be. And Eric admits, like, he sees everyone around him, like, making Mad Bank. And he's just like, my life didn't actually change a huge amount. I didn't go out and buy a fancy new sports car because I can also see this may not last forever. But at least it didn't change that much. Well, and that was like, it was a conscious decision on his part. Like he also saw how incredibly stressed out these guys, like all of a sudden they go from being artists to have been responsible for like a staff of 50 plus people. Yeah. Like now you run a company. Rob has brought in like all of his friends. It's a bunch of 20 year olds (laughs) that act like teenagers (laughs) publishing material that looks like anyone over the age of 13 would just would not get this. I can't remember which, uh, which guy said uh, he wasn't an image guy, but he's one of the talking heads they brought in where he says it like, I knew these guys weren't 13 year olds, but their comics look like something that a 13 year old wanted, <laughs> yeah. wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. I was the perfect age for Oh, this yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so everybody hits it big. The next day, everyone loses their virginity. And then they go on to, <laughs> to learn about the ups and downs yeah. of trying to run their own private publishing company under a greater image banner. So McFarlane creates McFarlane Toys. I can't even begin to stress to people how much that company changed the action figure market yeah. like globally. And you'll you maybe you'll see these figures that look amazing and but you can't do anything with them. Yeah. Those are Todd Those McFarlane's. are Todd McFarlane's, yeah. All your favorites, horror slasher villains. He's he's essentially responsible for creating the adult action figure market. Yeah. Like he was making toys that were basically meant to be pieces of art that you displayed they weren't meant to be played with he's making like boy cave decor right and as someone who has uh i prefer to call it a man cave but i um, decided man seemed too mature (laughs) (laughs) 
but I mean the 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 side effect of that was this whole new market was created, and it just made action figures better. I'm an action figure person as well as a comic person, so it made action figures better. Like, yeah, that's your thing. Like, even just the actual action figures that are meant for kids to play with look way better than anything that we ever played with. Have you ever we kids. masturbated while holding an action figure? No, because I usually I'm two fisting. Oh, so obviously it's it's hard to do that. Two fisting. Yeah. Like when I've got an action figure in this hand and an action figure in the other hand. Oh, you have to hold, you can't just hold one action right. figure. Right. Yeah. Screen. I got to do two. I've tried self sucking while <laughs> doing that. Uh, I don't have the flexibility anymore these days. Too. So, and the Robin, Rob is paying all these people. He's making bank. He's the button your jeans guy, creator of Spike Man. There's a story about a guy who puts on a bad rock costume, which is a name of a character. We see a lot of that bad rock guy actually yeah. in the documentary. <laughs> and he gets and the guy tries to drive one of Rob's cars and crashes it and he remembers being like, Fuck, I wrecked my boss's car. It was a viper. Rob was like, Oh, it's cool, man. Uh I'll get another one. I'm gonna go have sex for the second time. <laughs> These were the be- they said that these are the best sales in comics since the fifties. I can believe that. And yeah, and I think around World War II, comic sales were pretty good too, right? Yeah, I mean, essentially, World War II ended. The guys came home. All those guys read comics when they were overseas. They kept yeah. reading them when they came back. Yeah, and then uh, the seduction of the innocent came out. Right, and that's what hurt. Them. Them. Yeah, that's what almost shit destroyed. by the sixties. <laughs> Marvel the, then timely was going to go under. And then they were like, uh, let's try these superhero things. Yeah. Again. And that's became the Marvel comics that we know today. It was just on a, like a last minute ditch effort to yeah. not go completely out of business. Well, there's something called a speculator market. And we have become victims to this. And God bless my grandmother. She was never against my comic collecting because she had that bubble speculator market brain in her mind. Because... Her brother, Eddie, rest in peace, he passed away only like two months ago. She talked about how he loved comics when he was a kid. I'm talking 40s and 50s comic books. Wow. And he would just obsess with comic books. And when he went off to the Navy, their mother fucking destroyed them all. Just tossed them all out. It's a story you hear time and time again. That's the story. And that's the reason also why Why so many of these (laughs) are so valuable. So at this time, everyone's like reacting to that. Now your grandpa's like, don't throw away those comics. They threw away my Batman number one. You motherfuckers. Honestly, it's not like horrible advice to give. Yeah. Where you have a problem is when you're buying five copies five. of the same comic. <laughs> yeah, I got like 10 copies of Young Blood. I'm going to pay for my kid's college with these. Because if you understand economics this and guy with supply the, and demand. Yeah, this is Young Blood. This guy with the bow and arrow is this white dude. He's named Shaft. Shaft. Yeah, he's real, he was real fucking badass. Look at this one. These guys all have knives in their hands. <laughs> Look at those shoulder pads. Look at these shoulder pads, dude. These See these pouches? So many pouches. That's where your balls go when they shoot your fucking balls off, bro. <laughs> I got 10 copies of this shit. <laughs> Market had just crashed for trading cards. I had a lot of those. And their comic bubble was growing. And a lot of the guys like Mark and Jim Valentino, who kind of could see the writing on the wall, were like, this isn't going to end well. And re- meanwhile, Rob Liefeld's like, I wonder if he did cocaine. I'm pretty sure he did. 
It's said that since 1997, only five comics have sold more than 300,000 copies. Now, this movie came out about uh, five years ago. As popular as The Avengers and Spider-Man is and Batman, doesn't translate into like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales. I think if you hit like 200,000, that's considered a pretty successful book, right? Yeah, it's, it's still like Marvel has not found a way to make these highly successful movies translate into making like comic book fans There's, for the next generation. I mean, it's a fair question. Where's comics going? It seems like paper is inevitably going to have to go inevitably. Yeah. I think the graphic novel market will stay. I wouldn't be surprised if this just goes to graphic novels only. Like they just kind of publish these and you can get them digitally right now. We're at a point where the paper value and the digital value are like the same. I think digital drops a little bit over time. And there also are digital packages you can get. Like, I think if you give Marvel Marvel's website 60 bucks, you can read thousands digitally online. Yeah. And for a guy like me who doesn't go to the holds list, is a little too busy to stay always up on shit, those packages are actually pretty good. But basically, with the exception of, like, Marvel has their own, they've got their Marvel Unlimited. DC now has their streaming service, which is not just comics, but also TV shows and movies. Yeah. Um, but there, all the other publishers pretty much run through uh, Comixology, which is like kind of like the Amazon of digital comics, where all these other publishers, you have to buy through them, which I have issues with because what happens when Comixology, you can only read it through the Comixology app. What happens if Comixology goes under? Do you lose the hundreds of dollars right. you spent on the product? That's happened with me with games, especially games where you can everything is like microtransactions within games now. I've had games just go under, and I'm like, Man, I gave you like 50 bucks and yeah. you just don't fucking exist anymore. But I got a letter or an email rather from Image Comics because I got a mail subscription through them for Saga and Southern Bastards. My Saga went through, but Southern Bastards, I think, just stopped publishing. I don't think that ever finished. And they sent me a letter and they gave me a, my remainder money back. It took them a long time to get around to doing this because I hadn't gotten an issue in a very long time. But in this email, they said that they had there's going to stop doing mail subscriptions. Wow, I remember that when I was a kid, like that was how I got my comics. I, you know, would open up a comic and I would, you know, cut the thing out and I would subscribe. And that happened all the time, especially like yeah. late '80s. Shit would just get canceled. I remember bringing the thing to my grandma with the deal, and she's like, "All right, you can only pick one." I picked the Incredible. That was back when you could get like a full year for six dollars. Yeah, like just insane. Yeah, but I remember like a book would just be canceled, but Marvel would just substitute with something else like yeah. you didn't get your money back he's like well this book got canceled so we're gonna send you this title here's the uh, death lock you yeah. like death lock yeah. right it's like no no i don't <laughs> sales suddenly crashed they had it good for what like a year or two and then things flopped and during that year or two a lot of people came in and out we forget how much alan moore wrote for all these like sub publishers yeah he's got a whole wealth of things that no one even talks about in terms of like what he's written for. He did a lot of image stuff. Yeah, a lot did. of it was, was shitty. Yeah. Even he couldn't save a lot of that <laughs> shit. Sales crash and people that got paid a lot were suddenly not getting paid a lot. And Rob becomes bitter because he's not matching up to where he wanted to be. So he's getting bitter. And people are like, hey, thanks for the car. Can I have a job again? <laughs> I got way too much too soon. I, I, I knew it at the time. I was embarrassed by it. It's one of the reasons I tried to surround myself with other young people who are overpaid. He reminded people that he gave them a lot of money. There was one time he looked down and he said, see all those cars? I bought those cars. 
I paid for all of these cards. It's not even like three years later, and he's already like a bitter old business. Like, dude, I can't eat my car. Yeah, that was a thing when I worked at this one place. They used to give me free beer, and they tried not to pay me. <laughs> and I was like, look, I'm grateful for the free beer. It just so happens my landlord doesn't take beer. <laughs> uh, Natural Electric <laughs> Company doesn't take beer. Did you ask? You know, that's a good question. Maybe I should ask. Most of the complaints regarding everything that was going on were directed towards Rob's camp because he was kind of the most out of control. He was and, like trying to swipe people from. Yeah. Their yeah. Up, people are yeah. like scalping creators off of each other's companies and throwing around maybe too much money for what some of these guys yeah. could do. But they talk about how this partnership of seven. Uh, it was always a fight. Ask anyone if it's a good idea to have seven partners. Show me a partnership of seven people that has survived. It doesn't for a reason. Who was the seventh person? Will's Portacio? Oh, that's a good question. Will's Portacio. Yeah. Was, never... was it Eric Stevenson? Will's Portacio. <laughs> it seemed like Eric Stevenson, now the publisher of Image, seems like he was brought in by Rob, but was also kind of around a lot of the other guys as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, they kept focusing on the six, but they also kept saying seven creators. Hey, it's Will Portacio. I just could never figure out who that seventh person was. Maybe it's Del Keown. They're forgetting Del Keown. They didn't bro. say anything about Del Keown. Yeah, and Del Keown was not the mentioned. Pit. The pit. was like the Hulk. Let's not go down this road. <laughs> A lot of people also, either they don't know or they forget that originally Image was, the, the publisher was Malibu. Malibu was actually the one, uh, the company doing the actual publishing of Image's books. At the very beginning, yeah. 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 They had a specific coloring system that mm -hmm. was different. And Marvel bought Malibu just to take their coloring. Yeah. And that in that's like a whole other universe of characters that is like gone to the history of comics. I'd be shocked if we ever saw fucking Malibu universe ultraverse. I'm, I'm holding on to hope that one day I'm going to open a previews and they're going to solicit Nightman's back. Sludge, sludge baby. <laughs> Mantra's back. <laughs> what was the Barry Windsor Smith character? Oh, um, Rune. Rune. Yeah. Rune. I think Prime was maybe the only thing that really came out of that that was halfway remotely possibly a right. decent and ultra force but nightman got its own tv series oh yeah ultra yeah. force had a cartoon i think yeah it did rob and jim lee they took three million dollars to revamp uh the avengers and the fantastic four titles over at marvel because you gotta understand at this time no one gave two flying fuck about the Avengers. Iron no Man one cared like, anything about really anything Marvel was doing at that time. <laughs> Iron Man is like grade A Marvel property right now. One of the lowest selling titles yeah. at that time. No one gave a shit about was what was Captain America. Yeah, Jim Cap Lee was doing it. Captain uh, America, Iron Man, Thor, Thor, all your big dudes, yeah. and the Avengers comic and Fantastic Four. No one gave a shit about any of those characters during that period. None. So they're like, we'll give these hot shots the books. I remember reading Jim Lee's Fantastic Four number one because I'm a big fan of Fantastic Four. I remember it being okay. Now he's publisher at Image, co-publisher at, no, not Image, DC, yeah. and his art looks worse than ever. It just looks so stiff. In my, in my heart, I'm a cartoonist. That's what I've started loving about comics expression and stuff so i don't really give much sway to a lot of these guys who you don't know what any emotion is being expressed yeah. on any of yeah. their characters without word bubbles with lines written that look like they're written by 13 year olds <laughs> you really have no idea what's going on yeah how is what is this story mark Sylvester gets really mad at michael turner no, he, he doesn't get scouts he doesn't get mad at michael turner he gets mad at rob liefeld because rob liefeld is consistently trying to poach michael turner from him i had pretty much had it up to here with getting calls 
uh, directly to my office from Extreme, wanting to talk to my people. Get Mark got on the phone. Do you know who this is? And he goes, uh, no. Now, this is Mark motherfucking Silvestri. Because Michael Turner never, he never left. I mean, now, I mean, Michael Turner's been dead for a long time now. Yeah. But, but yeah, he never actually left. He didn't jump ship to go to uh, to whatever Todd McFarlane or uh, Rob Liefeld shitty. We keep saying the wrong <laughs> names of all these <laughs> no. motherfuckers. Extreme. He didn't go to Extreme Studios. But, no, he was pissed off at Rob because Rob was constantly trying to take his high talent. And Mark was like talk, like screaming, I want to beat your ass kind yeah. of shit. And he was like, I'm out. Yeah. I can't and, do this anymore. And he's the first one to drop out. Top cow. But Rob starts Maximum Press totally separate from Image Comics. And all the other guys are like, what are you doing? <laughs> and they meet with him. And they're like, you got to bring Maximum Press over here. But Rob's reacting to everyone complaining about his shit business practices and his inability to keep his shit under control. That he reacts just by starting... Another publishing thing that he probably can't maintain in control. Yeah. By the time Maximum Press comes along, no one's reading his fucking books at this point. Who is really hanging on at this point, truly? Everyone feels betrayed and they want Rob to bring Maximum over. And he's like, no. A choice was made. They had to vote Rob out. But he resigns before they officially vote him out. And Extreme is no longer a part yeah. of the Image Comics brand. So then they call up Mark. Todd calls Mark Sylvester. He's like, hey. Rob's gone. <laughs> Basically, like, do you want to come back now that he's gone? Like, what can I do to make this right? Mark and, has some stipulations, yeah. but ultimately he does come back. Now, this is interesting. We can nerd out a little bit here for a moment, okay? When they talk about how Rob gets booted, they show these images of a Spawn comic. And in the Spawn lore and the mythos in the early days of Spawn, he was a mercenary who was killed and he goes to hell. But someone killed Spawn. A character had killed Spawn, and it was this character. His name was Chapel. This black dude with a skull painted on his face. Chapel was created by Rob Liefeld. They showed these panels, and, and you have to be a nerd to know this. <laughs> they showed these panels of how Spawn was betrayed by yeah. one of his allies, and that's how he became Spawn. So it's kind of funny how... A Rob Liefeld character murdered the guy who would become Spawn. And that's a thing throughout the documentary. Like, they, they keep going back to pulling panels from these comics to try to, like, reflect whatever emotion or whatever is happening at that time. But the problem is most of the Image comics were really shitty. Yeah. So every panel they pull <laughs> is just bad. Like, it just... Yeah. <laughs> they did show panels, but they did not show as many as you might would expect that's in true. a movie like yeah. this. I realized, like, a lot of the way through, they're really holding back on showing a lot of this artwork. The most of the things that they are willing to show, and it's cool, is the parts where they're drawing at their tables and stuff like that. We kind of see a lot more than that than being like, this is Ripclaw. This is what Ripclaw's all about. <laughs> and trust us, that's a smart move. You just had to throw Ripclaw in there, didn't you? <laughs> rub the blood. <laughs> there was a comic where you could rub the blood. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Oh, blood the, shot. Oh, the, the covers. Oh, the remember, gimmick covers. Oh, I, man. I lo also love the old TV clips of them at that time. But our pages are actually 10 by 15, which is about the size of uh, Rob's ego. And there's that one where Todd McFarlane is making fun of Rob Liefeld's hair. Okay, and the other biggest question that I get is, did you pay for that haircut? <laughs> Unfortunately, I did, yeah. That's brutal, buddy. Sorry about that. Yeah. He's like, like, dude, have you looked at your hair? And he's making fun of his ego, saying his biggest, like, dude, you're Todd McFarlane. <laughs> but he's laughing at uh, Rob's haircut. 
and Todd has like this mullet. And it's like Rob's haircut actually holds up a lot better oh, yeah. than Todd's. Larry Martyr said that Jim promised him he wasn't going to sell to DC. Then um, sometime later, Jim's like, I lied to you. I sold Wildstorm to DC. That is the part where Jim Lee is now pretty much a company man at DC yeah. Comics. And that's where he's been ever since. And that, I mean, and to be fair, that's kind of what his dream always was. Like he, yeah. I think he was, seemed like he was pretty vocal about the fact that he wanted to be editor in chief at Marvel or like, or DC. Like, yeah. and I, I still feel, I think they may have, things are okay now, but I feel like Todd McFarlane felt really betrayed. Yeah, I would imagine so. Cause Todd's, it seemed like Todd's one thing was like, don't go to fucking Marvel or yeah. DC. Whatever you do, don't do that. I kind of see where he's coming from there. I remember when I heard about Jim Lee doing that, I was like, are you fucking kidding? But he's also publisher, co-publisher. Right. And design director. Yeah. So he's in a position where he's not going away. He's like the new Paul Levitt. Yeah, exactly. He's just there and he's going to write the crappy books he's going to write. And in the grand scheme of things, they were his characters to do what he wanted yeah. to. If he wants to, I mean, that's the whole, you know, yeah, you can be ticked off at him as the top, as Tom McFarlane was, but he had ownership of those characters. And yeah. He can take those characters and do whatever he wants with them. And that was kind of the whole point of image. Right. Do what you want with your characters. So now his Wildstorm world is almost like a part of the multiverse of yeah. the, like the DC universe. And there was a point where I don't have a lot of like fond memories of the early days of image, but like the Wildstorm brand, when it got going in the late nineties and early two thousands and guys like Warren Ellis and Mark yeah. Eller, were uh, writing books then there was some good shit going yeah. on in that in those stories a lot of these guys maybe kind of understood that the elements that they had to get to make this good it maybe just took them years to figure that out they kind of came in with a lot of hubris because they had a lot of talent but it took them some time to realize they didn't have all the talent for every aspect right of yeah thing. and you can't say that you know i mean they're obviously all very smart yeah like they it's 20 years or i guess at this point 25 years later and Image is still around. Yeah. They all have different, you know, some of them may not be with Image anymore. I, I know that Rob Liefeld is like back with Image, but he's not one of, he's not, a, he's a founder, but he's not, you know, one of the the main guys at Image. Yeah. He's just like every other person that comes to Image to and publish it, their stuff. And we go into pretty much the modern era, and then it's the Walking Dead show. The Walking Dead show. Robert Kirkman has to convince Jim Valentino to let him do a zombie comic. Jim Valentino's like, no one reads fucking zombie comics. <laughs> Robert Kirkman's like, look, man, it's not just a zombie comics. Aliens, man. Aliens made these zombies. <laughs> They're going to come in. I'm going to leave some Easter eggs, and uh, we're going to do all this. And Robert Kirkman, it's not mentioned, but was writing for Marvel yeah. off and on yeah. as he was doing this. Jim Valentino lets him make his book, starts it with Tony Harris, and who would be gone after six issues, and then is Charlie Adler since then. I remember uh, Eric Stevenson called me up and said, you know, this is awesome. I, I, I said, I, I gotta hand it to you. You've got me reading a zombie comic. One, one thing that has bothered me through all three of these issues is I don't see any of like the Easter eggs for the alien invasion in here. And Robert just starts laughing maniacally. Yeah, I just said that so you'd like <laughs> let me print the book. But Walking Dead started doing something that actually is not very common whether it be at the mainstream level or the indie level, each and every month, the sales increase. Which is unheard of. That's that's rare at any point. Yeah. Usually, like, your number one blows, and then it's all downhill from there. The Walking Dead was like, people were like, hey, you got this comic, The Walking Dead? And now it's The Walking Dead as we know it now, this TV sensation. I stopped watching it a long time it ago. It should have been taken off the air three years ago, but... 
whatever. But it's just huge property yeah. now. A very like a, a thing that is very culturally significant. Now image is like on the backs of this. Now image is like renewed, reinvigorated. And there is Shadowline and there is Top Cow, but you got a lot of comics with just that image eye on it. I was kind of bugged that like, yes, everyone knows about Walking Dead, but people forget about Invincible, which was Robert Kirkman's first really real really long term comic book title which yeah. is also an image book which ended just a couple of years ago yeah i mean in my opinion you know probably i would say it's the best teenage superhero comic book to come out in probably yeah. the past 25 years like that, that book has a very strong fan base but it's just not nearly as popular yeah so Walking Dead becomes the biggest comic in 10 years. And then Robert comes out. And this is like still a very controversial thing within the industry. Robert comes out with this screed on how he thinks it should work in comics. The way that the comic industry should work is that uh, you start out in low-selling creator-owned stuff that you do on your own or low-selling books that you eventually graduate up to Marvel from doing or DC. And you work your way up through that. And when you hit a certain level where you can sell a book on your own, you leave. Stop writing for fucking Marvel and DC and you will succeed. Everyone should be trying to do their own creator thing because he decided to completely bail from the mainstream guys after The Walking Dead became the biggest book on the shelf. It was after that point, but I felt like the downside of what he is saying is this expectation that everyone's going to hit it just like he did because The Walking Dead just looking at it on its surface, you kind of understand why Jim Valentino was skeptical. Yeah. You really have to kind of, I read that book for a long time. You really had to sit with it to really understand mm -hmm. what was going on. On the surface of it, it doesn't seem that interesting. But it just, there's something about it that pulled people in over time. But you had to devote yourself to it. That's what's so special about why that book was successful. But it's kind of a fluke. I think sometimes in this business world, it's like always stated that everyone is guaranteed this if they just do this and this. And yeah. That. The capitalistic illusion. And consistency will make something. And it will lead to something that maybe is a little better than where you went before. But but this is the problem. Not everyone in that office was balling like the way Rob Liefeld was balling. Yeah. Eric Larson still just had his fucking apartment, you know. He just kept it very basic. What did you think about Robert's ideas? I mean, I I def I understood where he was coming from, mm -hmm. but you also have to take to, take into account that not everyone, some people, their dream is to work on these characters. Yeah, at DC or Marvel. Like I used to have a dream of writing Marvel characters, but like anything that I would draw would be mine, like creator. Or yeah, that and, that's the way I and that I feel like it. I feel like we've gotten to a place now where a lot of people do both. Like you can. They don't really have these. It's very rare that people do these like exclusive contracts anymore. I think right. um, that used to be sort of the norm back in the day. Uh, every once in a while, you'll come across a high profile, like when Bendis left Marvel to go to DC and did an exclusive thing. But he's a huge name. Yeah, I can't think of probably a bigger name in comics than other than as far as Marvel and DC, especially for than is Bendis. Yeah, Bendis, and now he's DC. But even these guys that are big to us because we do follow writers. Like, every Bendis book doesn't sell, like, amazingly. Yeah. He has, like, one or two books that do very well, but he's usually writing, like, five books. Which and three of those insane. are almost, like, to me. are almost like fucking vanity projects that yeah. are just, that is just being kept afloat by these two books that people are actually reading. And I think that actually, I mean, that works out well for him. Like, he's, yeah. he's able to take his creator-owned stuff and take it to a big-time publisher like DC, where he's still retaining ownership, but now he has 
the full power of DC Comics behind him. But there's limits to the name. In the in the early nineties, Todd McFarlane, the name of Todd McFarlane. If Todd McFarlane drew a comic now completely cover to cover, it'd probably do very well. Yeah. But it used to be like Todd McFarlane, I'll buy it, sight unseen. People like certain creators and are fans of them, but that doesn't translate into like the feverish notion that used to exist before. Yeah. It seems like when a comic is, you hear about a comic being successful now, it's almost like a slow burn after the fact. Word gets around and people are like, oh, this shit's like really good. Marvel never allows enough time for that to process. But you do hear that more on the creator-owned side of things. Like Lumberjanes, you know. That probably wasn't super popular at first, and now as it goes on, it has a very specific fan base. Yeah. It is now a marquee book for Boom Studios. I mean, it also depends on what your definition of success is. Well, in the comic world, it's got to be very like low expectations. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like if, if you can sell, I don't know, 150,000 copies of a book consistently monthly over at Marvel, get your royalties on that, not have any ownership of the characters, be totally dependent on Marvel for your livelihood mm. or you can take a chance on yourself. If you've got some ideas and you want to actually do the self publishing thing, you can make a living at it. it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be extremely wealthy, but I think, I feel like right now we're in a time where there's, there are more things being self published now than ever in the history yeah, of comics. Absolutely. So obviously there's a lot it's of, it's kind of like a making- newer bubble. It's not, I think there's a little more pragmatism nowadays, but there's like another bubble. And I think, uh, when this came out, Image was in the middle of its second bubble. I think people were more aware of it this yeah. time. And people were at least like, if there's going to be a bubble, let's let it at least make good comics. Because at the time when this movie came out, Image was my number one publisher. That fucking Cyberforce, Spawn, Wildcat, Youngblood shit, that was done. Yeah. Now we're talking about thoughtful stories by creators that are being allowed to do whatever they want. And some of these guys you're introduced to for the first time in this publisher and other people are like coming from Marvel just wanting to do their own thing after being with that company but it seems like the path is not as laid out I understand how Robert Kirkman thinks it should work that is what he's saying how it should yeah he's not always I think one thing that's misinterpreted that speech that he's telling you what to do I think he's just kind of more being hopeful in that speech but the reality of it is that there's a many routes to this but nowadays if you want to break into comics it seems like you have to have made a comic. So there is something true about what Robert is saying, that you've had to have at least been able to put something together. There's also the added piece to that puzzle these days is, you know, pop culture, comic books are the source of pretty much every yeah m- movie, video game, TV show, like that it's what it all gets pulled from now. So now if you have ownership of your characters, you're in a position to really make a lot of money if because yeah. I mean there are studios that are buying rights to comics that hadn't even been published yet. Here's a fine example. Men in Black was a Malibu comic yeah. that nobody fucking read. Yep. Now it is like a big franchise. Yeah. No one fucking read the Men in Black nope. comic. No one even knows. There's a lot of comic fans that probably didn't even know Men in Black was a comic book. And there's tons of things that are based on comics. People have no idea that it actually comes from a comic. Yeah, book. even like non-super like stuff like History of Violence, that one that Tom Road to Perdition. Road to Perdition, yeah. those are all comics. Or even things like 300. Yeah, 300 like, was comic. Know, or uh Sin City, like Well, those these... seem stylistically 
Well, if you know about Frank Miller, you know those. Right. But I mean, but the, most of the public going to see those movies have no idea sure. where the source material is coming from. Man, Sin City must seem so pacingly weird if you're not like linked into the comic. Yeah. So all that to say that, you know, I, I do understand where he's coming from. Because if you really, if you really want to, I think he's saying if you really want to make a go at doing your own thing, this is maybe a, t- a path to doing that. So now we're talking to some new, some new blood, Rob Guillory, who did Chew, which was another big breakout comic. Joe Kelly, who I always thought was a very underrated writer. He did, um, he did that book, an image book that's great that I would recommend is one called I Killed Giants. Uh, it's really good. And it's fucking amazing. Another example of a, a movie was made based on. They made a movie out of that? Yeah. Whoa, I got to check that out. Yeah, it's actually it's streaming on Hulu right now. Really? Yeah. Uh, I Kill Giants, highly recommended. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Duncan Rouleau, who's actually been in the business for a long time. Joe Keating and Fiona Staples, who draws Saga. Another flagship book over at Image nowadays. And Nick Spencer, who's had a very up and down, down career. And he's a guy that's doing big stuff at the mainstreams and is doing his own creative yeah. own firmly a foot in each camp. Joe Kelly and Duncan Rousseau, those guys, they're like, I think they're two of the three or four guys that make up man of action. Yeah. And Joe is, Casey, a guy yeah. that Joe Casey does another um, underrated. Writer. Which is like this basic, like conglomerate of these comic book creators that have created, you know, animation. Yeah. Uh, ben 10, yeah. uh, which is a huge animated franchise from those guys. Generator Rex, yeah. which is another one based on, a literally one shot issue of that was published by image years ago huh. that only did one issue and no one bought it. Uh, and it ended up becoming a cartoon series like 10 years later on cartoon network. Like you just don't know. You don't know yeah. when you're publishing something, what could happen potentially down the line. Now at this point, Eric Stevenson is the publisher of image comics. Cause he sat through and ate all the shit from every sub publisher. <laughs> He's like, I am the one that survived. Respect me. And Kirkman goes, hey, what about Rob? Can we bring Rob back? And he's constantly bringing it up. It seems like Robert Kirkman is like portrayed as someone who's just very annoying at the image offices. <laughs> like, why don't you print Youngblood? Why don't you play a Youngblood comic? Why don't you get Rob back? Why don't you do my zombie comic? Huh? But, you, but you can't ignore him. Yeah. Because like, he's the biggest person in image right now. <laughs> this time he'll hand you a hundred bucks when he says it. They've got a jar. They've got an annoying Robert Kirkman jar that you put money in like a swear jar every time he does says something annoying it wasn't too long before this movie came out uh rob had come back and the, everyone kind of welcomed him back because he's older now yeah. he's, he's made every mistake you can make he's still a part of him's always going to be that annoying little kid rob blyfeld as much as we kind of make fun of him, we also love him i mean i mean me and you he reminds us of our youth yeah and i do respect what he's able to eke for himself and let me tell you around the time when he came back he revamped some of his extreme characters and that profit series that pro- he did a, this guy named Brandon Graham, who's indie comics to the fucking bone wrote, drew some issues and handed the art off to various other indie artists did this profit comic. That is like a combination of deep sci-fi European books and like done with Rob Liefeld characters. Yeah. It was really surprising. And yeah, and, <laughs> and it is unlike anything you would, you'd ever that you were i was reading at the time i recommended this to guys that barely cared about comics and i still talk about this particular run of profit and the interesting thing is they continued the numbering from when profit stopped numbering like in the (laughs) mid 90s so it was like 26 there was also a character rob created called glory and that series written by joe keating and drawn by ross campbell 
who did the Wet Moon indie comic series. I never read that one. I never read Glory. And Glory was fucking amazing. Like, it's really good. Joe Keating's a very... There's so many writers and artists out there that I feel like are incredibly underrated. And I'm actually very glad that the art styles that I see now have gone away from this 90s style because that shit sucked. And it was done I, I over can't, like I, I can't read a lot of that stuff. I mean, it's just... It's, I, I don't find... I don't find you know, it art you know, really You know engaging. why? Because you're a grown-ass man. That's why you can't read <laughs> Well, much. honestly, even back then, like, I I very quickly realized the image stuff was shitty. Like, I bought the first... for I literally remember I bought the first four issues of Spawn, bought the first three issues of Savage Dragon, because it was a miniseries. The yeah. first three before it became a regular ongoing. I bought uh first issue of Youngblood, first one of Wildcats. I, I bought, like, mostly one, the first issue, just to kind of try them out. And very quickly was like, yeah, this stuff sucks. Like, I just, I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't an idiot. I yeah, still I I like good yeah, stories. Yeah, I didn't hang on to it. Yeah. And that was the problem. No one else did. <laughs> Man, it's just so funny how everyone thought this shit was going to make money. Let me tell you something. A very, you don't have to go to college or anything for this information. <laughs> if millions of people have something, it's not worth anything. Maybe in a hundred years. We talk about this time where everyone thought this was going to be valuable. And then everyone realized it wasn't. When they realized it wasn't valuable, they started throwing it all away. Maybe that's the only chance it will have value. Because most people will be so disappointed, got rid of it, that it suddenly becomes valuable because most people got mad and got rid of it. I don't think that'll ever happen. There's so many of these comics out there. I remember back when the the, bur- the bubble was bursting. Yeah. I remember going to, uh, I can't remember the name of the comic store. It used to be on Nolensville Road collector's world uh and they had there was literally long box after long box full of the same issue of image (laughs) stuff like wildcats number three of long box and a half of just that the rub the blood issue everyone's got the rub the blood issue wild star yeah remember that one jerry ordway oh my god and i mean because it was horrible and the valiant stuff was the same like just Valiance do, does okay nowadays. But. I feel like Valiance, Valiance comics were better. I mean, the art wasn't better, but yeah. the stories were better. Well, these companies are a little smarter now, and they're trying to at least... Image at least tries to do something different. But although everything's like a sci-fi thing, it seems yeah. like, with Image. And companies like Dark Horse seem to be pushing the horror thing. I don't know. Image has been doing a lot of... They've been, I mean, they've kind of been dipping their toes. It's a lot. They do a lot of crime noir stuff now. Noir was pretty big in the early 2000s. Yeah. Because uh, Baker came on, and did they just brought back Criminal? Yeah, He's doing that again. Oh, Brubaker Criminal comics are great. Yeah, he has the the open gate to do whatever he wants at Image. Pretty much, yeah. Anyway, this is the story <laughs> of Image Comics. It seems like things are just kind of maintaining now. You could probably still read a lot of good Image comics these days. They're they're churning out a lot of stuff, and I will tell you, regardless of what you pick up from Image these days. It's probably going to be better than anything you're reading at Marvel that's, and DC. That's that's the damn truth. <laughs> and they got some good people over at the big companies, but yeah, you're you're right. For something with image these days, you're getting somebody who is probably doing something that means a lot. There's this guy that is interviewed in here. His name's Alice Cott, A L E S Cott, and he writes some of the trippiest shit that I have ever read. And he writes a lot for Image. He did this series called Zero, which is about this assassin dude. It's like this weird philosophical study of violence, and it's also hallucinogenic. And this guy has bizarre themes that he works through. At some point, like there's 
hallucinogenic mushrooms growing out of dude's back. Anyway, <laughs> check out Zero, man. You will. There will be no other comic you've read ever like. It's a crime that there has not been a movie or TV show based on Saga at this point. I think it'll be here. Or they always have a hard time getting Brian K. Vaughn shit going. You that's know? true. The guys these days, Jim Lee is now a co-publisher and he leads design at DC. He's very cozy over there. Yeah. Eric Larson, still doing his thing. Jim Valentino, he's still running Shadowline. And Shadowline is utilized a lot and it's actually become very influential for a lot of creator-owned comics out there. And Top Cows, too, with Mark Silvestri, is still going very strong. Rob is off and on. I think he comes in and out. It's not. He's a, actually drawing a book for Marvel right now. Oh, really? Called Major X. Oh, boy. If you get a chance, just Google. It's like it's like no time has passed when you look <laughs> at his arts. Okay, he's doing that. <laughs> and Todd, he still does toys right spawn, and he's still egomaniacal as fuck. But he does pencil his covers. I think he started doing that a lot. Here's my question, though. Greg Capullo, the artist, the comic artist Greg Capullo, after Todd was not able to draw his book, drew that book for a long time. Greg Capullo is a co-creator of a lot of characters on this book. Does Greg Capullo get a lot of love for what he's created with Todd McFarlane? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I don't don't know what their contract is like. And sure, a lot of those characters just aren't really hugely popular, but how does that work? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, technically the guy is... It's. I mean, it's. It's like the Marvel model almost. Like he's working for a publisher with playing in their sandbox with their characters. So does anything he create belong to him, or does it belong to Tom yeah. McFarlane? Marvel and DC. They weren't ethical in the way they did it. But eventually, greed's going to sink in with these dudes. I don't too. know. I, I would wager to say it's. He probably does retain ownership. The only reason I say that is because uh, Angela. Yeah. Which the character Angela. Yeah, yeah. which was originally published over at image yeah written in a story written by neil gaiman yeah in the comics world the writer and the artist own the character right but now angela is over at marvel Marvel, which is fucking weird yeah and now greg capullo draws for dc it's so fucking it's it's just a puppy pile of nerds (laughs) and then we end on a very terrible song yesterday And that's the end of the movie. A fucking a kill. That's the, the, I didn't want this to go long. It does. It always goes fucking long. We don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. We use the Herzog rating scale. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. We're going to combine them together like your finger on the blood that you rub on that cover of Blood Force or whatever the fuck that comment is And then you lick it. You got to lick your finger before you rub the blood. Lick the finger blood. Oh, Easy e came out for a signing. That was cool. Yeah, right before he died. That was the last thing he did before he died, was get was hang out with Rob Liefeld. Pretty cool. Went, then he went home and he died of AIDS. I love your work. Where's their genitalia? <laughs> <laughs> for best out of 10 Herzogs, I'm going to go first. The Image Revolution by Patrick Meany. I think the problem with this is that you got to be a nerd to appreciate it. That's the problem with this movie. They were playing this like little background music throughout the whole thing. Rob looked up to Todd quite a bit. I think all the guys did. They did not need to play that little background <laughs> music. It was like annoying. Did you remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's constantly <laughs> playing. The story is interesting. I'm not against the story. And I actually kind of like how they played out the morality of it all. And they seem to be very straightforward with how they got fucking upset at each other and things that worked and didn't work. 
there's a lot to learn about the backgrounds of a lot of these guys that I grew up loving. But in hindsight, a lot of what they made is just not <laughs> really shit. Really shit. But image, but they did uh, lay the eggs for to incubate to become what I feel like is probably one of the best comic publishing companies out there today. And one that, that still utilizes these roles. These guys that come in and out, what they make with them and their writers and their artists, they own that shit. That's the ethics of Image Comics. And the fact that it, throughout it, the, the bubble and the crash that it managed to maintain, it says something that is still there today. But there are like these little kind of amateurish things. The music constantly playing, I hated it. It's really bad music. I got into that with the way they represented the story of previous creators. I felt like they could have done a better job of linking that into it, making it a part of the drama of the documentary. And what, because, I mean, you ultimately got it, but it just seemed like if you were going to bring those guys up, you really got to do their story a little more justice. We understand it can't be half the movie, but do a little better on it. I would give this the old, I'm going to go between the regular average and the Herzog average. I'm going to give this 2.75. Okay. If you're a big comic book fan, or you love Robert Kirkman and The Walking Dead, or you fucking love Todd McFarlane, go watch this shit, dude. You'll you'll really like it. But I think as for an objective viewer, I could see people like being in and out and not really giving that much of a shit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I as a comic book fan, obviously there was a lot of interesting stuff for me to digest. Uh but if I was not a comic book fan, I don't know that I would have sat through the entire thing. Um I wish that they had spent a little bit more time letting you get to know these guys, yeah. like where they came from. They sort of started off right out the gate with Jim Lee's doing X-Men and it's selling 8 million copies. Tom McFarlane's on Spider-Man and it's selling 2 million. And then they leave and go to image like that literally happens in the first 10, 15 minutes of the documentary. And I feel like you, it, it would have been more beneficial for them to spend a little bit more time with them as they were at Marvel and really kind of illustrating the shit that they were dealing with at Marvel. Cause it, it, they almost kind of came across as being a little bit ungrateful mm -hmm. because you didn't really get a sense of how the, the inequity they were having to deal with as employees of Marvel. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of came across a little bit like dicks. It's like, you know, buying the hand that fed them and then yeah. we're going to be like, we're out, we're going to go do our own thing, yeah. which, which was, which I know was not the case. Like I, but I know that because I'm a comic book nerd and I already right. know the history going in. Um, it's, it is interesting how you're kind of for and against them in, in, in so yeah. many ways. And that, and, and, and that was kind of the attitude during that time. Like, yeah. you know, it, you're in hindsight, I look now and I'm like, it's amazing what they did. But at the time they kind of came across as jerks to yeah. a lot of people. Um, and, or overrated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but it is a testament to the fact that that company grew beyond what it started as, while still retaining what the original mission statement for the company was supposed to be. Little boys are all over this shit, like the way people are, like you see uh, young women on K-pop stars now. Yeah, that's a really amazing, simple like the, the comparison between those yeah. two. I would trying known. to entrap them into a weird sexual scenario, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, the documentary, I mean, it was it was pretty straightforward. Um, a lot of talking heads uh, without you really knowing a lot about most of these talking heads yeah. at all. 
even as a comic book fan, a lot of these guys were like, who the fuck is this person? I don't know who this is. There's like 20 more names they could have dropped that they didn't. Yeah, you know? yeah. I wish they had spent maybe a little less time uh, sucking Robert Kirkman's dick <laughs> toward like the last quarter of the documentary. Yeah. I understand. I, it came out in 2014, which was, you know, when Walking Dead was probably at its hottest. So yeah, I, I sure. get that. Uh, and that definitely, I'm sure, is how they were able to maybe pull some people in who weren't necessarily comic book fans, but who were big Walking Dead fans. And so I understand the need for that. Now that we're sort of past that glory period of the Walking Dead TV series, it comes across as being kind of gratuitous now. Sure. Um, but, I mean, it was an interesting documentary. I, You know, I, that was the third time I had watched it. I had to rewatch it because it had been a while. Um, there are still moments that kind of gave me chills looking back to, like, you know, just the number of books that were being sold. But you also think about the fact that the books were shit. So yeah. it's kind of like it's a love-hate kind of thing, which has always been Image's thing. We just remember it. Yeah. And we also remember it being bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like many things you revisit from your childhood. Yeah, that's right. Most of that stuff really sucked. What do you give this movie? I'm going to give it, I'll give it a three. Okay. I'll, I'll be a little more kind and give it a three. Um, but it, it it wasn't great. We're getting into documentary subgenres. We've done so many that we're starting to see patterns. And this is the nerd documentary. We saw this at the death of Superman lives. Yeah. Nerd documentary. It happens when a documentary is talking about some video games. It happens when it's talking about some comic books or it's talking about fucking uh, some fantasy thing like Harry Potter. They all kind of seem the same in their approach. They all kind of do these same tricks. And it makes sense why they're doing it because they're trying to evoke the medium that they're talking about. But it just kind of comes off in objective in a filmmaking format that everyone's just regurgitating the same thing. Which ironically is what Image Comics was. Yeah. A regurgitation of some same bullshit that they were saying was different. Like, literally, they would be like, the this character, yeah, that helmet kind of looks like Wolverine, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, all these guys have claws out of their hands, like Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, this guy has a big gun, like Cable does over in X-Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this guy's the thing, but he's got a 10-year-old brain. The only thing that made it different was the fact that they didn't have to deal with the comics code. So they could they could amp up the violence, amp up the sex, all the things that a thirteen year old boy wants more of. It doesn't necessarily make it quality. It yeah. just it's it's just it's the same shit. It's just now it's gratuitous. You know what the best nerd documentary might be? Now that I think about it, and we haven't done it for the show. I think it would be a lot of fun to. But Trekkies. Oh man, I haven't You're, seen that in years. Yeah, that's that's probably the best nerd documentary because it was actually charming in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, fascinating, I think this is pretty much down the middle. You take your three, combine it with my 2.75, that's 5.75 out of 10. It's pretty average. And that's the story of The Image Revolution by Patrick Meany. And Akil, now now that we've told this story, it's time for us to go lose our virginity. My wife's going to be so happy. (laughs) Finally, tonight's the night. (laughs) All right, folks, keep on nerding. Retailers are calling me going, how come Image can't get their shit together? Why's Jim late? Why's Valentino late? Why's Rob late? Why's Mark late? Why's Eric late? All toddies holding the ship up. And I'm like, wow. Like, he, he would like scold us. We would get a Todd scold. 
uh, while you're doing that. Oh, you should you should keep that on there. Hey, I'm gonna blow my nose while you're doing that. Hey, Doc Lowe, before you go, please go to NashvilleScene.com or select the link over at DocumenteersPodcast.com to vote for Documenteers as Best Nashville Podcast under, under the Media category. You must fill out several categories, 25 to be exact, before you can submit. If you're not from Nashville and would like to help us, then look at the show notes for our special episode drop titled Best of Nashville 2019. For several category suggestions and zip codes that you can punch in to help us spread the word about this show. You can also see a list of that over at documenteerspodcast.com. Help us get some local heat. Help us continue to grow this podcast. We like being a representative of Nashville, even if you don't have to be from Nashville to enjoy the show. Thank you very, very much for doing so and keep on doc.